Occasionally, myself and our coaching staff at DadStartingOver.com, we run into a client who has issues that go beyond the scope of coaching. They may have really severe anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, and this is the point where our coaches stop and say, have you spoken to a therapist? What a lot of these men say is, I've looked into it, not a lot of options in my area, it can't work with my schedule, or I have an appointment schedule, but I can't get in for another four months. In other words, the need is there. They recognize the need. They see the value in the therapy, but the options for getting the therapy are extremely limited in their area. Well, thanks to our friends at BetterHelp.com, there is an option for you. BetterHelp is a unique service that allows you to talk to a licensed therapist from your area via your telephone or your computer. You can do voice chat with them if you wish. You can email back and forth. You can text with them all on your time schedule, all from the convenience of your phone or your computer. So check it out at betterhelp.com DSO. That's betterhelp.com DSO and get 10% off your first month of service with BetterHelp. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. And today I'm happy to have on again. Mrs. DSO. Welcome. <laughs> Hi. Hey, that was a new sound effect thing I'm trying out here. I got a new uh, new piece of equipment. I got all kinds of cool things on here. So we may hear some more um, sound effects as the show progresses. I'm sorry, but I like my doodads and I like buttons. And this is some cool new stuff I have here. Anywho, what we're going to talk about today, um, I asked... I asked. <laughs> I asked on the Facebook groups, and for those that don't know what the hell I'm talking about, quick sales pitch. We have the members-only section of dadstartingover.com that we so lovingly call the DSO fraternity. DSO stands for Dad Starting Over Fraternity, and it is a members-only portion of the website for $14.95 per month or $149 for the whole year. You get access to all of my books in PDF and audiobook format. Um, live meetings of which we have three to four live meetings every week from guys all over the world that our hosts and coaches put on on a variety of different topics. And then we also have discussion groups on Facebook. For now, they're on Facebook. In the near future, we're crossing fingers, going to go off of Facebook into a different platform. But for now, it's private Facebook groups. You have to be a member to get in. Only members can read. And those groups are active like 24-7, 365. And on those groups, I... Um, Ask the question, I'm going to have Mrs. DSO on the show here soon. What is it we should talk about? And there was a bunch of good suggestions, and we're going to kind of combine a few of them in this show. And what we're going to talk about is our early dating process. And from her point of view, uh, you've probably heard me talk enough about that, what I think about the whole thing. But from her point of view, in terms of initial attraction, taking next steps, boyfriend zone, fiance zone to husband and all that. And it wasn't so simple as we know. I was going to say blending families. We're not really blending families per se. You didn't have children. But in a way, we're blending. Unless blend you count the hamster. <laughs> and the cat. Um, but uh, anywho, you get the idea. So thought that'd be a good topic for us to talk about. And um, away we go. So where to begin? You and I met initially online briefly um, and who will this, let's, let's stop and back up. Who will this benefit? This is for those guys who are, of which we have a lot in our groups, freshly divorced, 
you know what, I think I'd like to start dating again. I think I'm ready, which for a lot of you guys, you may not be. Just take a time out for a little bit, work on yourself, get all your logistics squared away of your new single life before you start bringing other human beings into your world. But most guys don't listen to me when I say that, and they jump right into the online dating thing and all that other stuff. Um, we have some hilarious stories on the Facebook groups from guys that have done this that are just detailing dates with psycho after date with psycho after psycho after psycho and it's hilarious the weirdness that they run into but anyway for these guys they want to hear or they want to learn they want to see behind the scenes for a couple that's kind of done it right so to speak and uh it'd be interesting to hear the woman's point of view and interject with my uh, uh perspective on some of these things so anyway back to the story we meet online we, it's funny, we used to have, I haven't had it in a while, I used to have an um, Apple computer that would mirror the um, text conversations that we had on the phone, on the iMessage. So whatever we had on our phone, you could see on my computer. And I remember going to the computer and seeing, oh, here's all the old messages we had back and forth. And uh, to our credit, both of us were not over the top needy talking to each other every single day. We would chat and then like a couple of weeks would go by. What? Three, I don't yeah, remember that. At the very beginning of our chats. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, um, hey, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Like, oh, it's Natalie. Oh. oh, hey, how are you? Merry Christmas. And then that would go away. And then it would be a while. And then we would chat more and chat more and chat more. And uh, at one point, we were like, well, there's a distance between us of like an oh, hour and 45 minutes, two hours, depending on how you drive. So that's a little much. That's a little ridiculous. This can't go anywhere. So, um, yeah, when, if we could meet, yeah, I can't meet till like March or April anyway. Yeah. Same here, kids, everything else. So yeah, I don't know if this is going to go anywhere and I don't know when things kind of turned and the conversations, uh, how were we able to overcome that initial, yeah, this ain't gonna work the distance and work schedules and everything else. You're a doctor and, or you were a doctor in training at the time and, <clears throat> and, um, me with trying to juggle three kids and. I was, I had, at that point, I had only been divorced for like, what, six months or something like that, or separated plus divorced for like six months. I was still married. Seven months. You were still married at the time, <laughs> technically. Well, your guy was all the way over in another part of the world. And he had announced, though, I'm divorcing you. And that had been like a year or something like that yeah. at that point. So in my mind, you're already divorced uh, on paper for like a year. On paper, you were still married. You still had to go over to Germany to sign the document and get it all done. Um, but, you know, me saying it had only been a, a matter of months since the divorce from my wife, that may raise some eyebrows, and rightfully so. Oh, boy, I should have waited. I'm glad I didn't because I met you and how awesome that has turned out to be. But in hindsight, complete, you know, if I'm looking at it completely rational mind, yeah, DSO, you, you should have waited. And I always tell people, Maybe another year or so I should have waited just to get everything squared away in my mind and all the emotionality and everything else. But we met, and here's a good stopping point. Does that, in your mind, Mrs. DSO, prove, does that prove me wrong when I'm suggesting to guys, give it some time, you take a year or so to yourself before you start getting into the dating pool? Because, hey, here we go. It worked for us, so so much for that. Well... Let me say this. The dating pool is terrible. It's murky, dark waters filled with toads and garbage. <laughs> <laughs> toads and garbage, ladies and gentlemen. I, it's a good band So name. I think if you are not in the right mindset, 
then hitting that dating pool early on is going to completely just ruin your ex, ex, uh, expectations on, you know, what you can find out there. I also made it a full-time job in the beginning. I was like, I'm 30-something years old. My clock is ticking. I'm going to have to find the man. So I jumped right out of that marriage into the dating pool way too early. I think within a month I was online dating, completely nice. broken, looking for a rebound pretty much, which I didn't realize until later. But I think you're in that relationship mode still from your previous yes. long this long-term relationship and you're yep. trying to just stay in that mode and you don't know how to be alone that's so key right there that's number yeah. one no you should not be in the dating pool that briefly out of a relationship looking for anything serious looking for a fun night great but you're going to run the risk that you're going to date some really unhealthy people because your own mental unhealthiness attracts other people that are unhealthy yeah. so that's that yeah. at this point though when we were dating or when we met I was in a place where I had just ditched one uh, a rebound that was very un, un that was not good for me, so I ditched that rebound and I was in a place where I was like, hmm, I'm actually pretty good by myself. So I think if you're in that state of of mind where you're thinking I have a great life, I like it, I have recovered, I can do this, I don't I don't need a person in my life. That's when dating is actually going to probably likely go better for you. And I always liken it to. Um, you know, when guys say, Hey, it worked for you. Why can't I go out and date too? Well, you know, I, I like guitar music a lot. And one of my guitar heroes is Jimi Hendrix and Jimi Hendrix did all kinds of drugs. So does that prove that to be an awesome guitar player, you should probably jump into heroin and, and LSD and all kinds of other stuff. And there you go. No, um, Jimi Hendrix was an awesome guitarist in spite of all that stuff that he did. And I found Mrs. DSO ended up getting uh, dating for a few years and getting married, and it's been great in spite of the fact that I jumped right into the dating world so soon. There's a big difference between because of and in spite of. There's also another aspect to how we met and how we framed our early days right from the start. And you, you told me yesterday, you don't remember this, but in my head, when I met you online and we established in the very first conversation that you had three kids, you were about 100 miles away from me, and I was on a visa about to return to Europe within six months. In my head, I was like, yeah, I'm not dating this guy. What? Why would I date this guy? This makes no sense. So I was, in my head, very much on the side of, Oh, nice to know this one. He's he's nice. He's normal. He doesn't just, you know, say hi and, and want to meet and have a good night together. He he just was a nice guy. So I thought, let's just keep him, um, let's keep him in my orbit because he's one of the few sane people who knows where I'm coming from, where I am mentally and emotionally, and we clicked very well in our conversation. So I really just liked knowing you without the intention of really dating you. And I think that's a big difference. So, it, by the way, you just said, keep me in your orbit. <laughs> You're like, oh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm glad I could revolve around you, Miss. Are you the sun in our solar system? <laughs> your highness. Anyway, so um, so y you got to know me and liked me at a, um, it, but this wasn't like a super long drawn out thing. It's not like we knew no. each other for months and years before we met. I the problem was that 
why I wanted to keep you in my orbit. I mean, I could have just said, oh, this is a nice guy who um, who seems interesting, who's smart, who has a good conversation on the first chat. And, uh, and then I could have just moved on and forgotten about you and unmatched you or whatever we did. But there was something in that initial conversation, a spark chemistry that you even get through just texting, which is weird. How do you get chemistry through texting? But mm. there was just something about how you were writing. You weren't needy. You were interesting. I remember you write out, uh, flat out asked me about teratomas because they found out Dermoids. that I was a health, healthcare professional. Yeah, Google those guys if you don't know. It's, so we it's just had like the most quirky conversation and you just came across as this really laid back. You didn't need anything. You didn't want to meet tonight to have sex. You weren't needy. Maybe I did. Yeah, I'm sure you did. That was your game. But mm. it just, you were just this guy that she just seemed laid back and relaxed and not keen to get in my panties within the next hour and uh, maybe i think that was part of the chemistry that made me go huh so you did get the impression from some guys that they were just like hey let's oh, meet now yeah. now now so yeah. just kind of like you guys get those naked pictures from girls we get those guys that start every conversation with hi and then when you respond they're basically jumping right ahead to hey want to meet Oh, I see. That, yeah, that's you weren't blunt. like that. Yeah, the conversations are very simple usually. I see. Well, there is the school of thought of um, the more you draw it out in the initial mating game process, the more likely you are to become Mr. Friend or what they call the infamous girlfriend with a penis, which is you are emotionally close to the person and they just share everything. But no, we're not lovers in that way, nor will we ever be. So where's the... Where's the um, I don't know what the, where's the the tipping point where you go from hey, it's a guy I'm getting to know the you know, I kind of like this guy maybe we can to friend zone. Yes, how did we avoid the friend zone? Is the question. Um, I would say it's because we didn't draw out that initial phase too long. Yeah, and when we met each other, there was obvious chemistry, physical spark there. I think the difference is when, like, let's pretend you're a guy and you're online dating, and I've been chatting with this gal for three months. And we're sharing everything about each other. And then we went on a date and it was all right. Well, then guess what? You've been friend zoned, I would say. But yeah, I don't know. I think it also was a part of it was that we were playing the dating game, even in our early texting days. Because um, I remember we didn't have any contact until about Christmas that year. So like two to three weeks after we first met. And I texted you because I had a horrible Christmas. I was just... I was with friends and I was sad and uh, was thinking about, you know, this is my first Christmas without my husband and I feel really lonely. And I think there's only one person that I know in my life that must know where I mm. where I am emotionally. So I texted you a Merry Christmas, a genuinely caring about this guy at the other end of the country that has uh, three kids and is trying to celebrate Christmas without his wife and must feel horrible. And mm. so I texted you and then that initiated a, a conversation that lasted but still we didn't text every day and it wasn't that much but what you did was first of all you always kept some stuff to yourself you always stayed somehow mysterious to me and interesting where i wanted <laughs> to know a little bit more and then the other thing was that you genuinely seemed like mentally well um, and then the third thing was that you early on started talking about the dates you were going on mm. and there is nothing <laughs> that gets a girl more interested <laughs> than you starting to talk about, yeah, I, I had a date, I, I met a redhead. I, yeah, yeah. I've been experimenting and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I was 
pretty open about it. And here's the key, guys. None of this was, um, you know, playing the game, so to speak, on my part. Sure. I, I didn't. No, I didn't sit there and say, I'm going to be, I'm not going to answer her right away. And I'm going to tell her about my women and it will drive her nuts. It was just, I was just naturally, and I think this is key. You, you see my life now, it's naturally very busy with three children, for God's sakes, is enough. Any guy will say, well, that's enough. Well, plus I work more than full-time when you combine the DSO thing, which wasn't going on then, but especially now, the DSO thing, and then my day job, and then maintaining a house, and three kids, and dealing with a mom, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm naturally busy. So if a friend of mine texts me, chances are I'm not going to text him back right away. I may get back to him tomorrow, whatever. I'm not playing a game with my friend. And I certainly wasn't playing a game back then either. It was just, and guys, this is key. Just naturally have shit to do. And you won't be hanging, you know, all of your spare time and, and whatever on the shoulders of this woman that you're interested in. They can pick up on that right away where I text him immediately. He's like, hey, I'm here. How are you doing? It's like, oh, okay. Do you have anything else to do? And so, yeah, I did, obviously. And then the sharing of the other women. I, I'm sure that didn't just me just immediately go. So anyway, I got a date tomorrow with so and so. It came up. It came up naturally in conversation, and um, I think I showed you at the time that I was interested in interesting people. So it was. I had a. If I remember, right, I was dating like this. Yeah, there was a redheaded gal from near here. There was a, a South African woman. What else? I was chatting with a Palestinian woman. So I, I tend to have like a. a a thing for um exotic exotic ethnic to you for lack of a better term type women that's just my wheelhouse the redhead kind of falls outside of that are redheads considered exotic no hmm. but they're still very interesting they can be so anywho um and so unbeknownst to me at the time that made you go oh this this guy is um uh, has some value if he has that many interesting women that he's chatting with and meeting with and so forth. So kudos to me. Unbeknownst to me, I was playing the game pretty well at the time. So we agree. What was the tipping point where we said, you know, we're not going to be able to meet for a while based on my yeah. schedule. And then all of a sudden it went from that to how about next Saturday? I think we started talking almost every night at that point. Kind of when we both had settled down for the night and were so we alone. became more connected emotionally. Yeah, and we were exchanging a little bit more about, hey, this is how dating is going for me. And I think the initial excitement about dating um, exotic people had kind of gone away for you, and you were at the point where you're like, hmm, I have a date every other day, but I don't know if that's really what I want. Like I got that sense from you that you weren't overly excited about the ladies you were going out with anymore and at the same time i noticed that i wasn't interested in any of the guys showing up on my online profile anymore and that's the point where i said to him you know i kind of i don't, kind of don't care about all these other people because the person that i like is you mm. and i think that's Adorable. when you first admitted yeah i you know what i really like talking to you as well but i did after we met in person i was still seeing other people uh, well, but you. Quick, but then I quickly canceled the date them. right after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it took me meeting you in person. I was, yes. I, I hadn't been sold, so to speak, on you. Well, I was still seeing hockey man and rugby man, and oh, nice. So this sounds like a porn. 
<laughs> sports porn. <laughs> I just picture the guy walking in with his hockey no, so stick. To, 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 to just, he says he wasn't playing the game, and I, I think that's probably true. You were just in a, in a healthy mindset, and you were you didn't need me and you were just having a life and you were enjoying it and you were liking being single and we were just people that two adults chatting about shared experiences of being in the dating world after 19 years of not being in a dating world um but i think uh, i lost my train of thought okay so mrs dso just had a pregnancy brain fart as we call it so she said i just totally lost my train of thought and we had a break there for about 30 seconds where we're trying to where she's trying to get her brain back in uh in podcast mode and she lost it so i'm going to take over from here and say okay so um we were chatting for a while consistently and what is it exactly that made us say from texting to let's meet and it, it initially we said you know it's going to be till april may or whatever it was and then all of a sudden that went for how about next saturday and we're trying to decipher what was the deciding factor oh yeah I think there were a multitude of things. One was you kept talking about going on dates, and I got nervous that somebody oh, would. You, oh, so you thought, I'm going to lose this guy. Yes. Because okay. at that point, I liked you that much. Mm. There was just enough. There was, I, I don't know how to explain how people can have this much chemistry over texting, but it got ridiculous. It got to a point where I was getting really horny just from your texting me. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I, I am not the type of gal that up to that point had ever sent any um any photos to a man that was not me i uh, remind you guys i had not dated ever um online so this until I, my husband did, did separated from me so the dating world of 2013 as you guys all know um includes usually sending selfies and naked pictures and i did not know anything about that i thought that was weird and why would you send some stranger naked pictures of yourself so i I had never even considered that, but this man here got me to considering that. So that says a lot about where I was in my now, head. Now, this wasn't, uh, let's stop there. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't you just going to the bathroom and, and clicking some pictures. You had like a professional photo shoot done at some point, kind of like a boudoir thing. Yeah. It was somebody a, convinced you of like, you should go get this done. No, I did that because uh, I lost about 20 pounds um, right before my ex-husband separated from me just as a, hey, I need to get, get healthy. So I, I really felt good about my body. I felt attractive probably for the first time in my life. Um, just had a really toned, well-shaped, skinny body. I liked it. I felt fit. I felt healthy. And then it was also a lot of this phoenix out of the ashes kind of phenomenon where I said, here, my husband dumped me but look at me and so i kind of wanted to capture that moment by getting a photo shoot of myself in underwear that was sexy seductive but it wasn't to be meant to be shared with anybody it was not really naked, for myself no there, there no. was no nudity no. but it's back to where we where we decided to see each other i got to the point where i was like okay i need to share this little picture with him otherwise he's gonna go somewhere else mm. and he's not gonna find anything better than me <laughs> that's that's the message he needs to I'll get here fool yourself there <laughs> if he sees this he can't, he can't there's no way he, he can't can. resist well that was one thing and then also we had at that point received gotten to a very playful interaction with each other did i send any pictures of myself no, of to you at that point? no i don't know i think there was a six-pack picture mm. somewhere at black and white mm, we, we were exchanging pictures they were just attractive enough to kind of keep each other interested did we ever speak on the phone no Prior to i meeting? don't think so it was all texting yeah it was all texting oh, that's kind of weird but it was 
it was texting where I felt a connection. Like I felt this isn't just two God, two people that are checking in with each other once a day. It got to a point where you, I remember you went out with a friend at night, you went to a basketball game mm-hmm. and you were a little tipsy. And in the middle of the night, you texted me, hey, poop head or something like that. And that made me giggle. It made me feel so special. (laughs) (laughs) I have a way with words. (laughs) But no, it made me feel like, oh, this guy's actually thinking of me while out with his buddies being drunk. That's that's the person he's thinking of. And that made me feel excited. And there's another aspect to it. There were six months left in my fellowship. That also meant there were six months left on my visa. And I was thinking if this is going anywhere or if this is a a serious thing here, I may want to figure that out now and not two months before my visa expires. So I think there was a bit of a time pressure that I felt Mm. that made me go, I need to meet this guy because this is getting ridiculous where maybe this is all in our heads. And I was going to say, would you um, suggest to your daughter that she follow the same series of events, which is meet a guy via text message. You don't talk to him. You've never seen him in your life. Send them some semi-nude photos. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> hook, how they do it these days. <laughs> hook the man and cross your fingers that when you actually meet him, that he's you know legitimately attractive to you. Um, I guess you kind of lucked out there. I could have been a troll. I could have yeah. been. Oh, well, you could have been a serial I, killer. Yeah, I know I sent you a photo, but that was 50 pounds ago or 10 years ago. I'm quite the different man yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, I had online dated. I knew that there were people or, that posted pictures of yeah. themselves that did not match the reality. Or, um, <laughs> yeah, or I could have been some abusive, really narcissistic, awful, terrible dude. Yeah, but that's why you meet in public places for coffee in the middle mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. It's true. So that's what we did. Anyway, so, so that's what we did. But, uh, so... Yeah, well, let's let's fast forward a little bit because yeah. we still got ways to go. Yeah. <laughs> so we had the, that we now we talked about some of this. Listen to some previous podcasts. Do a search for I think I I put the word Mrs. DSO in all of them, so you can search on that in the podcast feed, and you'll find there was two other episodes that we did together where we talked a little bit about this already, and then we talked about our sex life in another one. Of course, the sex life one's the most popular one to date. Um, so we had the date. It was very long. It was basically all day long, late into the night. 12 hours. 12-hour total date. So we obviously clicked. And and also, kudos to me playing the, quote, game. Um, we jumped around and did a lot of stuff. It wasn't a boring night. It was, it was just awesome. go sit, do dinner. Yeah. It was jump here. About it. We went to a basketball game, right, mm-hmm. at the University of Louisville. They have a big, giant, fancy stadium downtown, which is super. It's like NBA-quality stadium. So, ooh, that's cool. And then from there to dinner, from there to a museum. No, it was lunch. It was tapas, remember? That was lunch, that yeah. early in the day. Oh, and, yeah. And then from that to a museum? Yep. From that to a... Dinner. Dinner? <laughs> well, we made out outside the museum mm. to just throw that in there. And then <laughs> we went to dinner, and I think then we watched the movie. So, I mean, let's be honest here. There's a lot of luck involved here. As much as I can say my skill, my game, and you and your skill and game and... And, and uh, yes. trying to hang on to me and so forth. I think those were important, but luck is a huge, yes. huge component here. Because, again, it could have all went. It, that make-out session could have been, I'd just start slobbering all over your face, and you'd be like, what's wrong with this man? Kind of uh, Okay. And it, <laughs> <laughs> it could have been, uh, again, the physical could have been not been there, and you would have been convincing yourself, like, I don't really like him in that way, but I can make this work. We all know how that so goes. So th- you're right. I think there's luck. I drove to this date 
super nervous. I don't know how nervous you were. You probably were all chill and relaxed. But <laughs> just one of many bitches in my stable. I was so nervous. <laughs> I had really, really put a lot of effort into my hair, my outfit, and I was nervous because I had enjoyed our talks so much that I was scared that you would be just one of the toads or I would see you and there would be nothing to talk about because we had already talked about everything. So I I came into this um, date with zero expectations. I thought, okay, we're going to go to this basketball game. It'll be awkward. I'll go home and that'll be it. And I got out of my car and I saw you across that parking lot and I immediately felt like this is the man that I've been waiting for all my life. I just want to hug him. It feels like I've known him my whole life. So that part... Oh is the luck part because that you don't have that with everybody and i don't know how much of this was primed by our friendship that we had at that point but there was just this instant connection where i saw you and you just looked genuinely like a person i wanted to just immediately touch but what is important about this is i didn't feel like oh this is my buddy or my brother this is mm. i just thought oh you got you are a person that i feel immediately close and attracted to and then you made it's clear from second number one that no i'm not going to be your buddy because it was very much a date you made compliments on my outfit um you made little playful com comments about well, my, my boots. very first comment to you was i was surprised at how tiny you were yes <laughs> i said <laughs> you're so tiny so i think it was my first word oh my gosh you're so tiny because <laughs> you're just this little short little thin very much like a ballerina type body is how to describe it you know that thin little tight outfit and but you could tell you actually were were fit, and you did do ballet for many years as a kid. So mm -hmm. I think it kind of explains that kind of look. So just trying to paint a picture for you guys, just tiny little the physicality skirt. of what I saw there. Yep. Um, so I was surprised at that. I guess in your photos, you you came across as a little bit more. I was going to say heavy is not the right word. No taller and yeah. more curvy, maybe. Yeah, probably. That's yeah. that's how photos work. They put on ten pounds. Um, great date and everything else, and then make out see you later but we're going to do this again and we did it the following weekend is mm -hmm. that right mm -hmm. now uh we did not have sex no, on those no. but this is um this isn't so simple like where you just look at the calendar and go eh, how about next weekend cool how many hours a week were you working at this point 70 80 i had 36 hour shifts and i was on call yeah, so a lot i was gonna say it was more than that 70 80 i think at times more than that i don't know um it's a it's a big blend it, it was blend ridiculous of amount of so she had a ridiculous amount of hours um where we where we met for our um date it was an hour and a half from where she lived right um yep. she's working all these hours i am working all these hours at that point, was I commuting? I was, wasn't mm -hmm. I? Yeah. And so two hours a day commuting for work, coming home to three kids the majority of the time, maintaining a house, playing Mr. Mom and all this other stuff. So to make time for a, hey, next weekend was a pretty big freaking deal for both of us. Yeah, but again, we were horny. Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> it's funny what love will conquer all, right? So that's next weekend. And then next weekend's date consists of, we we're back in the same city of Louisville again. Mm -hmm. and we can't keep going on at this level of detail or else this will be a five-hour podcast so great second date again more jumping around to different things walking around awesome and then let's meet up for a third date in the other city where you lived mm -hmm. and in your sealed the deal and that that one <laughs> that's the one that sealed the deal okay i guess we're a couple now because that was the where we had sex yeah and I, mind you i'm uh, i was raised as the girl that um very catholic very 
modest where i was told you know you don't have sex before you know six six weeks to three months of dating a guy i know that's super six conservative weeks to three months it's very I know specific that, no i know that it was kind of the the norm that i was raised with so for me to go and go this far on the third date that that was like selling my principles to the devil <laughs> So that meant a lot, but at that point I felt like, hey, I'm an adult woman. I can make my own decisions. I know this guy well enough. I trust him. I've had a few dates. Um, we talked enough, and I feel like this, this is just, it needs to happen. We need to get this out of our systems. So that happened, and then at that point we just went into the dating mode and basically from day one started uh, planning, hey, when can we see each other next? Wh which weekend is going to work? Where are you not working? When do you not have the kids? So we basically still kept it at a every weekend sometimes every other weekend level mm -hmm. and here's the part that you probably don't know much about that intensity that we had when we saw each other and how much we connected and then the big distance between us and the not seeing each other for that long created a lot of uh, stress emotionally for me because i had just come out of a long distance mm -hmm. marriage that where i got dumped mm -hmm. and i was this this emotion that you i felt for you triggered a lot of those old memories and i actually really struggled with those drawn out dates like when you told me i'm not gonna make it today or was it simple as i may lose this guy no it, i don't know it was just a very visceral subconscious fear of i'm gonna be abandoned again yeah i may lose this guy yeah, yeah I, mm -hmm. I may be abandoned emotionally or whatever in whatever way or this may not work out because how are we going to make this work long term with with our schedules and his kids so very much from the start in my head, there was a little cloud over all of this awesomeness of, oof, this, how is this going to work? Mm -hmm. And you also told me from very early on, just so you know, as big a deal as this is, you and us, the, the kids are going to be number one for me in my life. And I was like, yeah, duh, what kind of father would you be if, mm -hmm. if they were not? But it also immediately having that set out this flatly and right in my face made me go like oh yeah i guess that's true i'm not going to be number one for this one so add that to the abandonment fears that were deep in my personality because i had abandonment from from my biological father leaving me early in my life that just basically set us up for disaster but somehow we didn't s slip into disaster so how did we navigate the complexities of this your your emotions that were pretty raw still from your divorce mm -hmm. my emotions that were raw um i think it's, i think it's simply because we are two people that are very cognizant of our past and our baggage and recognize it and say i have past and baggage and this is how i deal with it um, yeah. everybody has some kind of baggage some more severe than others um you know it's kind of like the saying of uh, people that were sexually as molested as, as children uh, that doesn't guarantee that they also will become sexual molesters and abusers later in life um, in fact most people that are abused sexually as kids do not become sexual abusers but if you're a sexual abuser molester type chances are yeah you were probably molested but so what's the point of all that the point is that um just because you have X baggage doesn't mean you bring it into the next relationship and it blows it up and it causes chaos and everything. So what's the difference between those people that do and, and don't bring all that is that they recognize it and go, well, I'm never doing that again in the case of the abuser or abuse victim or type. I'm not bringing that into my, my life. I better get help with this. Yes. I'm going to therapy. 
I'm working on this. I've recognized when um, bringing some chaos into this world, et cetera, et cetera. I better take a time out. I'm not ready for a relationship, whatever it may be. Um, I refuse to be a victim of my past. It's kind yes. of what my mindset was. And I actually, I did go into counseling. Uh, I had already been in counseling after my uh, separation because it just helped. I mean, you know, I, I was a go girl all by herself in a stressful job across the across the planet from where her family and her entire support system lived. So I was really alone having to go through this major divorce. So I got into counseling pretty much four weeks within to the separation and had been. And I continued it in the very early stages of our relationship because I decided, okay, if I'm crazy, I don't want this guy to know I'm crazy. I need to get over my craziness first and I need to not drag this crazy into the relationship that I'm starting to form because this could be something really healthy and good. But you say, I don't want this guy to know I'm crazy, but you, you were fully open about counselors no, I was, and so forth. Sure, I was open and I shared it with you, but what I meant was I didn't want to be that woman that slams doors in your faces, mm -hmm. throws furniture around in a rage. <laughs> like I knew that whatever emotions I had, I had to deal with them by myself, get over them, um, you know, learn how to cope with all that past without dragging it into the relationship. You can drag it into the relationship and talk about it and say, listen, I'm going through stuff. And I think you're right. We were open about that and we talked about that, but mm -hmm. I never, I hope I never let you feel what I was going through. Um, there's a big part of this, which is, can be argued as good and bad is how would you describe my tolerance for drama over the top irrational emotionality and so forth zero zero <laughs> i yeah some and i've talked about this in the past too is that some of my baggage i bring to the relationship is that my mother is uh, very highly neurotic um she doesn't have a mean bone in her body as i think mrs dso will attest she's yeah, one of the kindest sweet. sweetest people you'll ever meet she's one of those types that if a complete stranger is like i'm a little cold she will literally like take the shirt off her back and say here take it take it you, you can't be cold almost over the top with the codependency neuroticism and all that other stuff and so it drove my dad nuts and his um means of coping with that was just like i'm just going to disappear for a little while it, I mean, not, not like run away, but he would, you know, do his guy things. They go to the hardware store. I often joke for like four hours at a time. He would just go and hang out there. I remember he used to go to the car dealer and hang out with his friend there and talk about cars. A lot of going to see guys talk and just hang out. And basically he was kind of getting away from that neuroticism that he didn't have the tools to deal with. And I don't really have those tools either. My tool is just like you all need to stop being crazy right now or you can leave is kind of my yeah. initial reaction to that. And, and I sensed that very early. Whenever there yeah. was any drama, you were like, oh, okay, that's me out. Yes. <laughs> so I just, part of that is some guys listening to that are applauding because they've dealt with a lot of uh, unnecessary drama and uh, toxic relationships and so forth. And they, when, when we talk in these coaching sessions, I will say, was there a point early on in the relationship where it's like a red flag? It's like, yeah, we had this major blow up and she said this horrible, terrible, awful thing and or she did this terrible thing and I just let it slide. But here's the thing. And it built and built. Yes. This is a new relationship. A new relationship should be butterflies, fairy tales, you know, I don't know, violins playing when you kiss. It should be all rose-colored mm -hmm. glasses and, hop, you know, Which hopping the sunset. Yes, but so if you bring all your drama and all your your issues into that relationship, you already ruin all that. Mm. And I did not want to ruin that. I, I thought you were an awesome guy 
who had been through a lot, who was coping extremely well. And why would I drag any drama into that and make your life miserable after you had recovered from all of that? And I had come through a lot and I felt I was in a relatively good place, still coping with things. I just felt like I do not want to poison this awesomeness that we share. I want to give this our best shot. And so I think you just didn't, nobody deserves in a fresh relationship to get all the drama and the baggage from previous relationships thrown in their faces. And if you do, why is that a giant red flag? Well, because the other person doesn't recognize, well, I have some baggage I need to deal with. I kind of need to uh, figure out how to deal with this on my own. I need to figure out coping skills. I need to figure out whatever you want to call it, boundaries and all the other stuff. Boundaries and respect, I think. Instead, their initial reaction is, I better throw this at the feet of my new partner here and let them deal with it. Or I better bring them into the chaos in my head because that's just how I cope. And if I'm feeling bad, everyone else needs around me needs to feel bad too. Giant red flags. Yes. In the, the beginning, the, you try to be your best. Yeah, the person's a human being, you know, uh, feel sorry for them if they're going through a lot, but how they're coping with it is not healthy within a relationship, which yeah. just goes to kind of prove my point of this whole relationship game ain't for everybody. It may be 10 years from now for you, but right now, if you're the type that like, I'm overly neurotic, anxious, I got all these horrible issues from my past and I just keep blowing up on my partner and dumping it on him. Well, of course it's going to be a giant turnoff and things aren't going to go so well. Yeah. But, and it sets dynamics wrong from yeah, day from one. The, and yeah. if, yeah, if you're on the other side of that and you tolerate it and you're like, Oh, they're there. We'll get through this. Oof. Not good. Um, that's why I say to my credit, my, my impatience for drama, I think it's saved me from quite a bit. Um, very early on in my very early dating phase, I probably was more, um, uh, what do you call it, patient, just because uh, I was wanting affection so much um, that I was willing to put up with that. But then as I slowly came out of that fog, so to speak, I realized, I don't like any of this stuff. So as soon as one girl was like, I don't know, she drop some little bit of crazy is just yeah i'm not texting her back anymore and i kind of brought that into this relationship good or bad um so anyway so where do we go from fast, here well fast, fast forward. forward so we're dating we're in la la land things are going pretty great but here is my visa coming up my mm. visa is expiring and i haven't met your kids Mm-hmm. And uh, in my head, I always thought, I'm not going to date a guy in a long-distance relationship ever again, let alone with kids. Like, no. But now I am dating this guy. And the long distance is going okay, but um, my job is running you out. Know, we keep harping on the long distance thing. And yeah, it's a factor, but it never really was for me because I always looked at it as, okay, I'm going to see her Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably what I would do anyway, even if she lived right in my hometown or in my neighborhood Yeah, in the early phase of dating that's healthy yeah but and also because just the logistics of our life yeah you're working that many hours i'm not going to see you during all those and hours. i think that i was have what the kids and working so many hours yeah. i can't see you monday but that made Friday. it so good it, yeah because you you had that whole week of build-up you had lots of there stuff to talk about you had your own life you were missing the other person so not seeing each other and not texting each other constantly we were texting each other a lot by that time but <laughs> but not seeing each other constantly that does create that tension that yeah. you need and to so keep things interesting adding a hour and a half two hour drive between the two of us on top of that five days and that never occurred to me as like a holy crap i can't believe we're doing this it was just, it was just well, for me it was a lot because what was, we do because i did have that 80 hour work week and so adding the drive made, yeah, made yeah. it feel like a much bigger distance than it was and i did struggle with that off and on where i said oof 
I just w wish you were there at night when I come home after a really busy, st stressful day. You know, I had kids dying on my service and my job. So I, I had an emotional demand, emotionally demanding job. And sometimes I just wanted to come home to somebody to comfort me. So that I was missing that. And that made me sometimes think, oof, how am I going to do this long term? But then again, my job was running out. So here I am trying to figure out, is it worth finding another job, renewing my visa? That, I mean, major things, right? I had a job in Germany that was expecting me to come back. And I had to decide, am I going to go back? Am I, is, am I going to tell my mom, no, I'm not coming back this year? Am I going to make all these major changes for a guy that I just started dating a few months ago that has three kids that I don't really want to co-parent? Um, so I was facing this major roadblock in my perception that made me go, we have to do something to figure out where this is going. And that's where I think I brought up, hey, when can I meet your kids? Like, I need to meet your kids if I know where this is going. You know, it was almost a year before you yeah. say six months. It was almost a year. So, um, yeah, we didn't rush into that by any means. And I was very averse to rushing into, into that because I just wanted to make sure that you were normal, healthy, and everything was cool between us. I think one of the worst things that um, guys can do is... I met this gal. She's amazing. One month after dating, let's get together with the kids and go out for a picnic. And it sounds good on the surface, you know, like let's bring the kids into dad's world. I don't want to be secretive and everything else. But um, for a lot of kids, it's they're in that state of post-divorce chaos in their little brains. And it's like, hey, look, here's dad's new love interest. It just sends them into a tailspin. They don't know how to process that. And it's very tough for them. Well, and uh, it, we waited like almost a year, but it was... Even that, I'm still a shock to a lot of kids. And so let's fast forward to that moment. Here, kids, this is Natalie. But before that, I did tell them verbally, this is what's going on. And my daughter at the time, who was the most affected by the divorce, emotionally, obviously, was very like, yes, good, awesome, great. Let's, I'm going to meet her, which was surprising to me. I remember my middle son, when I told him, looked at me like, what? <laughs> like, he was just like, huh? He had no clue. He had no idea. He was totally shocked and almost gave me the whole, like, you, girlfriend? Kind of attitude, which knowing him now, I'm like, yeah, I can totally see that. Uh, he's a little bit of a shithead. But, um, so. And the little one was unaware of yeah, his surroundings. Yeah, so little. Um, <laughs> yes. But anywho, so um, we first introduced you to the daughter. Mm-hmm. We, I, oh, I brought you to a soccer game of hers. Yeah. And I said this, and the other two were not there at the time, I don't think. No. And then, um, daughter, let's go hang out, you and me and the new girlfriend. And you guys hit it off right away. And it, she was just like, there was no weirdness there. Not really. There wasn't, but I think a big part of that is because my job is dealing with kids. So I have a fairly natural way with kids. You do. Plus, um not to inflate your ego too much, but you look younger than what you are. And I think she was like, young, pretty girl. Yay. Young. It, this is cute, feminine. I like this. If you were like a older, more serious matronly type, I think it might've been like a, uh, but she just saw you as fun. She yeah. saw you as bubbly and fun. And this is cute. And I like her. And, and I think that was my entry to the choosing. I mean, I don't know if I chose this. That's just my natural self. I'm a, fun loving person i just like doing childish stuff yes <laughs> so, so that's yeah, yeah that was appealing to her as being yeah. so at I the time a nine-year-old um so yeah but that went well and then you came later to meet the rest of the crew yeah. 
my daughter at that point had already said, uh, you know, I've already met her. So she had one up on the other two and you came and met the boys. And I remember they just walked right out into the driveway and met you. I think they're playing around outside shirtless or something. And uh, it went well. Yeah, the there little one was already on my hip I mean, on day they were, one. They were a little apprehensive, maybe at first a little shy, but it Which is normal. That went away like it was so we lucked out there too. That could have been a nightmare. That could have been she's not my mom slamming doors. I don't want anything to do with her. I hate her slamming you know, my kids aren't normally kind of volatile like that, but it could have been. It could have set yeah. off something in them. No, and it was I, the opposite. They and were, how would we have dealt with that? You know, that would have been yeah. a detriment to our relationship. Like, oh Christ, not only do I have to travel to come see him with these kids, but I'm gonna come home to a house full of kids that hate me. Wonderful. Um, that's reality for a lot of guys. Yeah, but still, the question is, how did we go from now I met your kids to I'm going to marry you and become the stepmother to your kids? Mm-hmm. That that was still a big step. And you know, I want to stop there. That there was an aspect to this that was kind of good but sad for me, and was that my daughter took so strongly to you. Um, there was one sad aspect of my divorce from the ex was that whatever my ex was going through at the time, whatever you want to call it, midlife crisis or whatever, um, a big part of that was emotionally disconnecting from the kids. And um, you could see that in her actions and everything else that she just didn't give the emotional or even just her physical time to the children as much, not nearly as much as she should have. And so I think my wife, my wife, my daughter was starving for some kind of uh, maternal figures. It was a mother vacuum. Yeah. That it was so easy to fill, even with your little one. Yeah. He yeah. just they having, all. yeah, like he wanted stories read to him. He wanted Play-Doh played with him. Like it was so easy to fill that hole. And so part of that is like, that's, thank goodness it didn't go the other direction. But the other part is how sad these poor kids were just need a mommy. And here I was saying, here's a complete stranger off the street that you've never met before. And they're like, yes, great, she'll do, fine, yes. But here is the big um, the big issue that comes up with that. So imagine here's the single career gal that has been independent for so much of her life. Even in her previous marriage, she was an independent lady, this one here. <laughs> and uh, I, I always wanted kids, but it was kind of like, you know, out there somewhere in the far distant future, I want one child maybe. I mean, not maybe, but I wanted one child, but that was it. Um, And then here are these three kids that I did not give birth to that I have, you know, I like them just like I like everybody's kids because kids are awesome. But, you know, I don't I don't love them. They're not my kids. And here I'm loving this guy. I'm falling hard for this man. And he brings these three kids into my life that immediately need this mother figure and i could tell that he wanted me to be this mother figure too he wanted a replacement because the other mother was a total failure (laughs) and so that's a huge burden to put on a single single lady that is just kind of in the height of her career development so there was a big part of me that made me go uh i need to run away from this but i can't because i want to stay in this so i was very torn in those stages and like a big part of me was saying i just want to get back to normal family life again I just want to get back to that dynamic of male, female, one roof and everything, even if it's on a part-time basis on weekends, just getting a taste of that again. It's just like, oh, thank goodness, yeah, back, but I back think, to that level of normalcy again. Yeah, because I felt that from you. I think I was pretty blunt relatively early on about saying, listen, I don't love your kids. I can't love them. They're not my kids. I'm not their mom. Like I felt like I had to throw that in your face, and I did that a quite quite a few times, not just to tell you, 
but also somehow to tell myself, hey, step back here. You're not going to be their mom. You're never going to be their mom. You're never going to take their mom's place, no matter how much they wanted and how much you maybe even wanted. I I did really throw myself into the stepmotherhood. I, I made sure I had girls night out with just your daughter. I even just took your little one, your your six-year-old or seven-year-old. Took the daughter on trips later yeah. on. And, and I took your seven-year-old yeah. for skiing, taught him how to ski and tubing and snowboarding all in one day. I mean, I made sure that I had one-on-one -on -one time with each kid um, to show them that here, I am here in your life, I'm trying, and I'm not just trying with your dad, I'm trying with you. And I think that made a big difference probably in how they perceived me that I wasn't just coming in there and sweeping their dad away, but that I was actually trying to fit into the family. Mm -hmm. That's but, huge. And yeah. That was huge. And that, that allowed them to bond more with you. And um, I'm trying to think where to go on the timeline from here is we ran into some snags. The whole going back to Germany visa thing, that didn't go away. No. That wasn't it like was dangling above our head the whole time. It's not like you went to some council and they said, oh, you met a man. Okay, go ahead and stay. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. We had to. Um, well, I found another job. And the, got the no, visa renewed explain about what that, time. Explain what that means. It's not like you ran around to hospital saying, who's going to hire me and keep me here. Kind of did. With, <laughs> That's kind of what happened. Well, but within the, the same beginning. hospital system, you said, can I do another, um, what do they call that? Fellowship. Fellowship. And you found one, and they said, yeah, we'll keep you on for another... Year and a half. Year and a half. So that bought us time to so like, develop okay, things. Cool. So we get to stay another year and a half. And that and that kept Germany at bay. Germany's like, are you coming back? Like, I'm doing another fellowship. Oh, okay. Go ahead and stay there. Yeah. That's super simplifying it, but that's basically what happened. But that year and a half went by pretty quick. It did, but it gave us time. You know, we had just been dating for nine months at the point where I needed the visa renewed. And mm. at that point, you can't make a decision. I just met your kids. You can't make a decision. Is this going to last or not? So just having bought that time gave us an additional year and a half. And in that year and a half, we just got closer and closer. We went on family vacations. And I just I just knew that this is it. This is yeah, We're committed at that point. Yeah, we were committed. And I loved you so much that... Yes, you had three kids. Yes, we had a distance between us. Yes, we had a complicated schedule. And yes, I needed to find a visa and permanent job. But at that point, I was thinking this is so good and so healthy and it makes me feel so happy. Yes, it comes with all these burdens and barriers, but I am I think it's worth trying. And that's when we started looking into immigration lawyers mm. um, and when we were talking, starting to talk about marriage. Now... Some of you may be listening to this thinking, well, just get married, guys. That would have kind of solved everything. Yeah, no. 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 The, her visa, the the particulars of the visa and returning to Germany, everything were such that it basically was written into it. Even if she gets married over there, she still has to come back home. And it's like, wow, yeah. That was the news to me, too. I didn't know yeah. that kind of existed. Okay, what if you got pregnant? No, even then? Yeah, they, said they really wanted her back to Germany. Yeah, and they said, unless you have extreme hardship, like... One of his kids would have suffered emotional trauma from Or I assume leaving. if something awful had happened to yeah. you, if you're incapacitated, or, you know, if you got yes. hit by a bus or something, I don't and think I they'd make you come back. And correct. But I basically, the, the, no, no matter what we did, there was there were two options. Either go home for two years, and then you can come back to the U.S. for as long as you want. Two Granted, you find away. a job. Yeah. Or, and two years to Germany, so you already thought our schedule was difficult. Try to make that, <laughs> that work. That with wouldn't a, have worked. Yeah, no. exactly. So we were facing that, or alternatively, find a job that will sponsor you on a different visa in a remote part of the country and serve an underserved your time. area, they say. So, yeah. so picture an area of the country where 
it's tough to get a doctor to come in here and do what yes. Mrs. So Diaz. Yes, if does. you commit to that for three years, then yes, you can stay in the country after those three years. So I was looking at those two options, both of them not great. So we were like, great, we can find a place. And we live in rural Kentucky. Certainly there's a place around here that will, and no. <laughs> and, uh, well, how about neighboring states? And no. And remember the immigration lawyer we got? Laughed in her face, laughed, laughed on the phone, yeah. laughed, and he's like, yeah, good luck. Well, another one said, yeah, you, you can find someplace. So I think this is where I stepped in, was that you were more um, of the, this this shit isn't is going to work. Yeah, I some, was. Some crying fits here and there. Of, yeah. This is hopeless and yada, yada. This guy just laughed on the phone at me. This is ridiculous to where I say, eh, there's there's always a workaround. Always. Yeah, I was, I it's think I about, was. It's all about who you I know. was giving up a lot. I was crying. I was doing the, I'm pu I was pushing you away at times. I was like, let's just give up. This is not going to work. I, I was, I didn't want to give up, but I felt like. You were overwhelmed. Yeah, it was too much. And so that's where Mr. Here, I'm going to inflate my ego. Mr. Rock, if you want to call me yeah, that. Very Mr. Much. The rational guy who just took the emotion out of the equation. I said, no, we've not even any, come anywhere close to erasing all of the options here. This is, no, it's number one. It's all about somebody out there is going to say, oh, yeah, I got a position for you. And we ended up finding that. But. But did you propose before I had that position? I, don't, I think you did. I'm trying to think of the time frame. It was your 40th birthday. And that was, was when it? was that? I don't know. Yeah, I didn't have that job yet. This is the key, I think. That, that is, so that I is had huge. committed to you and proposed to you. No, I so think you... You were more apt? Are you, are you saying you were more apt to, at that point, stick around because I'm, I'm No, no, no. But what guy? I'm saying is you gave me the message. And you didn't propose, like, you know, getting on your knees with, you know, flowers and orchestra playing in the background. You did it in a very rational, smooth way by basically just saying... Here's a ring. <laughs> I am. Let's, well, I let's set the let's set the tone for the yeah. uh, the uh, proposal. We had a cabin in the woods for your birthday. Was it my birthday or yours? Why do I think it was your birthday? Because I don't know. It oh, was anyway. your birthday though. So, and this was in the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, Smoky Mountains. So, picture a lot of woods everywhere. A cabin out in the middle of nowhere, by the fire, and sitting by the fire on the couch. And that's when I brought out the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not in a, you know, usually when you think about... I'm not all about that. Get on the knee and yeah, beg, begging the woman. I think it's a very odd it's thing. It's a very I, Yes, I understand thing. the romance behind it. And, no, I don't but like I, it. You know, at, at, a, at a conspiratorial level, it right away sets the tone of the uh, please, woman, make me happy. Please, please, please. Plus, I'm, I'm European. I'm, be I'm begging you, please Yeah, but it's different me. in Europe. Yeah. The, the Europeans, before we got Hollywoodized, that's not a word, but before we've started following the American trend of going on our knees, the Europeans don't do it that way. It's much more of a conversation between the couples. Hey, let's get married. And so I think one of it was you. we weren't that type, but the other part was that you knew me as a European, I wasn't expecting a big giant rock and a big fanfare yeah, yeah. and getting on your knees kind of thing. So I think, and plus the fact that I was with one foot out the door in a lot of our conversations at that time made you go, yeah, I don't want to just throw a ring at her for like two two months of salary. You know, you say that, but I, says no. there, I didn't have that impression tone like this woman has a foot out the door. I had the impression, the tone of this woman is very uncertain and scared 
and she she would love more security and safety when it comes to all this, but you can't predict everything. Um, but I looked at it. It wasn't irrational, but it was emotional, and I knew that well, we haven't exhausted everything. There are 50 freaking states in this country, and somebody's going to take you, and it's not a permanent thing. And sure enough, jumping ahead, you ended up going to the great state of Maine, so all the way up on the furthest northeast corner of the country. Yes. So if you thought we had long distance before that, holy crap. So we looked at it, and what's that going to take? Well, it's not permanent. It's only three years. And at the end of three years, hopefully some other things will get ironed out as far as green cards and everything. And that's what will allow you to, to stay, and everything's kind of, don't worry about it at that point. Yeah. Um, but we didn't know that at the time, and you proposed. No, and, no, none of this And I want to go now. back to the proposal, because okay. what made this proposal so special was that you didn't put any pressure on me. You said, I... I'm giving you this ring because I want you to know I am there for you. If if you want us to be a thing, if you want us to be together, I am going to go through whatever it is that we need to go through. I'm, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. If you want to go back to Germany, we'll make it work for two years. We'll travel back and forth. We will figure this out. Like It wasn't in, a, in an emotional, needy way. It was more in a... I'm your man. I'm not going anywhere. I don't know what you're trying to tr do. I'm not trying. I'm not sh sure why you keep saying this isn't going to work. It's going to work. I'm here. Just trust me. And that that emotion came across as so soothing, and so oh my gosh! For the first time in my life, I'm not alone. I'm not a single career gal trying to wrestle the world by myself. I'm actually having mm. a partner by my side, and that really sealed the deal for me. That I said. Oof, I'm not shouldering this burden by myself. We will figure it out. And mm -hmm. yes, I'm going to marry you. And so, awesome. And then Maine, you get this offer from Maine, which was good because they gave you some good amount of time off every month. Mm -hmm. So you could fly back to Kentucky and spend a good uh, week or so at a time, plus some vacation time on top of that. 12 weeks of vacation. 12 weeks Imagine of vacation. That. Yeah. So... <laughs> Pretty, some people would look at that and say, oh, so you're a part-time doctor. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, I worked a lot still. You worked a lot because you were on call some of that time. And when yeah. if you don't know the world of on-call, and by the way, this is all new to me too, the whole doctor world. I didn't know anything about it prior to meeting Mrs. DSO. And for those that don't know, she is uh, what they call a pediatric surgeon, so she cuts up kids. So she, <laughs> she's, <laughs> um, so being on-call means literally you're at home, you're relaxing in your pajamas, and the phone rings 11 p.m. and they say we got a kid coming in. He'll be prepped and ready to go in an hour. You're like, well, shit, I guess getting my clothes on and driving into the hospital. And then you come back home and it's 2 a.m. and then you get another call saying we got another kid coming in at four. Guess I'm going to the hospital. That's being on call. Some nights are nothing. Other nights are two, three calls. And so she had to do that. So saying she works part time is not fair. Um, she worked more than anybody during the weeks that she she was on. So anyway, so we dealt with that. That was a period of three years mm. back and forth to Maine. By, it? it went by like two days. I'm not joking. And I look back on that and say, wow, we did three years and didn't feel like it whatsoever. We, we ended up getting a new group of friends there. Um, it was a two-plane jump to get there. Stopped in Philly or Detroit, which was a pain because sometimes you'd be stuck in Philly or Detroit. Did that maybe three or four times. And remember <laughs> the very first time we were supposed to see each other when I had moved to Maine? The flight already got delayed and you couldn't make it. And I had a major crying hissy fit. <laughs> I was at Target walking around trying to find some furniture items or something. And I started just bawling between like, the this aisles. This isn't going to work. It's, uh, but then 
we made up for it. Like I think I had to reschedule things, and the following weekend I showed up, and it was fine. So the way my kids' schedule worked then and now, it's a little bit more fair now, is I would get th- like three days off in a row of no kids, and then I'd go spend them there, and then she would have like a week or, week or more, seven, nine days at a time yeah. off in a row, and then you'd come to Kentucky and spend it there, and then I'd go back and spend another weekend with you. So it worked out well. It was kind of more than what we had done before. Yeah. As far as seeing each other. Definitely saw each other more at but, a time. But um, it's just that distance was a pain in the ass. Yeah, but here's... Because this this episode is about you selling me on the kids and, okay. and how... Okay, so how, yeah, we were kind of getting off the path. Yeah, but, but I wanted to say is I have a friend that is in a different situation. She's a physician. She is foreign, and she met a husband, her husband with three kids, and she lives with him. She immediately had a baby, had a baby, and she lives with them full time. And she was the same same type of person when she met this guy. She was like, "Yeah, I'm not dating a guy with three kids." What? No, I didn't even want one. And um, she texts me on a regular basis. So what I'm trying to say is that I think that our arrangement, in many ways, worked in our favor. Because I'm not constantly in around the kids. I'm not constantly thrown in this job of being the stepmom to three children. That is a tough job. And you should not underestimate what that means to a single woman that has never had any kids. and They're not her kids. My friend is struggling a lot. And she is doing a great job making her marriage work. And she doesn't work. She has no resentment. She texts me when she starts building up resentment. And we talk it through. And I tell her, you know what? You love him. You're going to be with him. The kids are going to move out in five six years and you're still having a marriage ahead of you so don't build up any bitterness don't get dirty dynamics going already um just just be positive you married him for a reason you love him and um that's that's kind of where i still find myself in too is that that i often get in that point like oh why can't we just have a normal life why can't we just live in the same house it would be so much easier would it be though it's never easy to live with someone's someone else's children and to raise them mm. alongside and we've hit some spots where it got rocky with your daughter having some issues and mm-hmm. where we had some blowouts and fights and um it, it is you should never ever let that woman that you're dating that is going to be the stepmom to your kids think that this is going to be an easy ride because it's not and it takes a big person two big people, the husband and the wife, to co-parents those stepkids. Now, you're making an assumption here. You and your friend, uh, both doc, do not represent the majority. No. The majority is they already have kids. True. Most of the guys that, most of you guys listening to this that are post-divorce and dating, you're going to go out in the dating world and marry, and marry and date the 30, 40, 50-some-year-olds. Most likely, they're already going to have kids. They've already been married, they already had children, and, and they're divorced. Um, that just adds a whole other level. There's a cat, in case you guys can hear that. Uh, that just adds a whole other level of complexity. Combining families. I have my kids and my parenting style. You have your kids and your parenting style. We have, so let's pretend you got four kids combined. you got four different levels of drama. And you have, wow, you know, good luck with that. So we're kind of a minor league version of that. You're a single woman who's kind of a blank slate when it came to parenting. And um, I'm here to, I have, you had time to yourself to decompress. You had time to 
don't really give it some thought what I'm going to do and plan. You had time to spend time one-on-one with each kid, and not everybody has that by any means. Yeah. Most of the time it's... Uh, most of the time it's the mom says, no, I, I can't meet this weekend because my Billy has a soccer game. I have to drive him across state to go to that thing. Oh, okay. Well, there goes time alone together, which was going to be my next point of let's pretend that you did have a kid already. Would this have worked? Oh, man, that would have made things so much more complicated. I, I don't know if it would have. Mm-hmm. Um, simply because... We had such an intimate, close time together. I'm trying to think of the times that I look back and just sit and smile. And those are the times when it was you and I in a hot tub and it's snowing outside. And we just had the weekend together. No kids, no nothing. It's just, ah. It was going to your apartment when you were there in the other state. And having those (laughs) wild, sexy nights together. And going yeah. going out to parks together. I wouldn't have welcomed you naked and with a beer in my hand. No. <laughs> if I had a if kid there's a kid myself. on your hip, you know, or something like that, or I got to go pick up Billy from soccer, I'd just been like, ugh. You, selfishly, you were an oasis, a break from my very paternal slash maternal, because I was playing mom and dad, it seemed there for years, life of that, uh, what's the word, domestic world. Yes. Where I, as a man it's kind of a square peg in a round hole in some ways i i'm energized by doing that but in other ways i'm like i'm not engineered for this i'm not supposed to be a housekeeper i'm not supposed to be a butt wiper i'm not supposed to be that sounds sexist and awful but it doesn't fit with my psyche very well i'm one of those go out do things and come back to the family kind of guy and i there was no going out there was i was always stuck there in that mindset and with those kids and everything so wow, I get to drive in a car for an hour and a half and end up in an apartment having wild, crazy sex with my girlfriend and going on trips together and going to the Smokies and we went to the beach and, oh, that was awesome. I was just like, I'm alive again. Thank goodness. Um, so if we didn't have that, mm, Would we have bonded the same way? And no, this is the, no this is the problem. Maybe that's how we can end it. This is what's going to, going forward, be a big key yes. in making ours, making each other happy with a new baby on the way that's now going to be in my house. And, you know, because we're still having two houses. Mm-hmm. So when you visit me now, there is going to be a baby. So how do we continue to find these oases? Because I need that oasis too for my my sanity. And everybody does. Everybody needs a break from their kids. It's just mm-hmm. normal. You, you, you're not just a parent. You're a person. So that's, I think, the big part of of making this work in the future is that we will still continue to have our little moments together, our little escapes. So we have to forcibly do that. Yeah. We have to both be cognizant of that and say, and when one of us resists for whatever, and say, no, remember we said we were going to. Yeah. I think that's what makes us great is that we have that distance and we made the most out of the distance by creating oases, by Mm -hmm. making, making time together, quality time. So we still have to do that somehow. And I keep pushing back on this, that it's it's when you talk about your place and the distance and so forth, again, it's not that bad in terms <laughs> Some people of, think it's insane. Well, some people are like, this is nuts. But I mean, the schedule, like you were here all this week. And then I will see you next weekend for four days. Yeah. And then I'll leave. And then I will see you for a week straight. For four days. For four. Oh, it's not is a that week. it? Okay. Yeah. You're right. So but for still, four days. But we make those days count. It's not like those are days where I'm gone half the day. Those are actually days I'm off. So we're going to spend all day together for yeah. four days in a row. 
Who has that? And yeah, we're very lucky in that regard. So yeah, there's a physical thing of we actually have the two homes and you're there and I'm here and we kind of bounce back and forth between the two. And yes, it's a pain. And yes, there are times where I'm like, I'm just exhausted. I just, I don't want to go. Air travel is so goddamn annoying. Oh my God. And they just make it worse and worse. The more, the more you go, you realize this is just ridiculous. The security, the waiting, the delayed flights. And it's just like, can I just, ugh. But uh, the end result is good. And I mentioned this in a previous podcast that when I look back on my first marriage and when was it the most healthy, it was when I was Mr. Go Out Traveling for Work Guy. And there was a point where I was gone three weeks out of every month. And some point people may say, well, that's not very good. Well, sure worked for us at the time. I had time with work, so I had a sense of I'm accomplishing something. I'm going out and, and you know, what's the word, making the bacon and um, helping to pay the bills. I was the majority breadwinner at the time, and uh, I had time with men and my friends because the people I traveled with were my buddies, literally. Those were the guys I also hung out with when I was home. And um, so there was a split, and when we got back together, it was, yay, we're back together. And then, oh, see you later. I'm gone again. So there's something to be said for there's some kind of dynamic, whether that works for me personally in my brain and the way I'm engineered, or if that's kind of something that everybody should kind of look at, like get the hell away from each other. I mean, they do say absence makes the heart grow fonder, yeah. so that does exist for a reason. But here's the question. Um, were you on purpose doing this that you created those times when it was just you and me when we were dating thinking that oh, i can't push my kids on her all the time was that a purposeful thing because i no, feel like I you so. and i having all this time alone also made me feel like oh i'm not just this new wife that has to take care of the kids i'm actually a oh, woman no. that he's so courting in, in other words did i shelter you from the kids because i didn't want to scare you away no it was totally selfish Okay. I, I needed a break from the children. But I do think that's a big key because I know a lot of people that are in the dating world with kids and the kids are just always there and the couple barely has any alone time and it's always with the kids, with the kids because mm. a lot of people have the kids full time. And a, and a lot of women um, that already have kids are very upfront. You know, Aiden and Braden and Jaden are my life. <laughs> Everything else comes second. If you don't like it, get the hell out. And the guy's like, well, I'll, I'll try dating her anyway. And sure enough, yeah, she had the kids this weekend. They were over. We couldn't do much anything. We all watched a movie together and date over. And no, I don't think that's a good... How do you bond together like that? That's what two I'm thinking. People? I think it's yeah. crucial that you have your dating phase in the beginning, that you get those times So then together. how can a guy who has taken a liking and he's at the stage that we were at with the texting an awful lot or phone calls or whatever it may be and i'm really falling for this woman and we got together and we went out for dinner and it was great and she's amazing but she's got these kids and i got kids and ugh, trying to find time to do anything it's got to be somebody makes that uncomfortable look if we're going to work out you know that uncomfortable conversation look if we're going to work out as a couple this kids every time thing it, it ain't cut that. yeah we can't play house from day one no. we have to be a couple first yeah um, but I think what a lot of guys will report to you is like, haha, yeah, good luck with that. Most women I talk to are like, Aiden, Brayden, and Jaden are number one. And if you can't take it, get the hell out. There's some. Um, yeah, but they're number one. I mean, you told me your kids are number one, but I still was able to be your number one whenever we were together. And that yes. is the part. So, what did I mean by that when I say they're number one? Which means if some little drama pops up or I'm with you at your place and i get a call saying somebody fell and broke their back or something i don't know what yeah, i'm gonna have to say adios 
Um, I guess that's what I meant by that. Like, there's going to be points where I'm going to have to choose between the two of you, and I'm going to have to choose them if it comes to that because I'm their daddy. Yeah. And I would hope you would understand They're minors. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, you know, there's another aspect of this to talk about was that how intoxicating our single life together was. I was playing Mr. Single Bachelor Man kind of with you. I was like, Mr. Kids, what kids? I'm going on adventures. That was, and that's very intoxicating, very attractive to a lot of men. And I hear from, not most, from a small minority of men, where that becomes so intoxicating to them that they leave the kids behind. And we've all heard that dynamic before where dad took off and said bye-bye. And he went to some girlfriend in California or he became a beach bum or something like that. There's always kind of that little pull for a guy of just F this, I'm out of here, I'm going to go live the, the bachelor life. So just warn you guys, you're going to be new in this dating world if you find a Mrs. DSO level type of connection, you're going to have to fight that where it's like, no, I, I still got to return back to the kids and play Mr. Mom and take him to school and take him to soccer. And then it's kind of like you're living a dual life. And that's the way it was for me. And that was a little tough at times where I didn't, you know, it's, I got to leave tomorrow morning. I really don't want to leave tomorrow morning. <laughs> Can I just stay here and play this bachelor life? I call it bachelor. It's not the right term. Mr. Playboy life indefinitely that'd be nice but no i got responsibilities i got three kids they're kind of dependent on me to be mr normal normal parent man so so that was kind of tough i don't know if you've ever recognized that in me or not you mean me if you recognize yeah if you ever yes, recognize of that. course i mean yeah. <laughs> remember the infamous ice storm <laughs> And I just didn't want to go back to work, so I made up that I was stuck. No, I thought if you recognized that in myself, oh. in me, your husband, did you ever recognize my torn between? I really don't want to. No, go that's play. what I'm saying. I, I recognize that in you because I felt the same way. I I don't want to go back most yeah. of the time to my adult life, even though it's just a single adult woman life. Um, it is intoxicating, and our times together are so amazing and awesome. We have so much fun that it's hard to remind yourself to be an adult and that you have responsibilities and you have to just suck mm -hmm. it up. And that's why initially I said, you can't enter the dating game in, in your second phase of life where, where you have a lot of baggage. You can't enter that not being completely in your right mind because you have to be, you have to be mentally so strong to make it through all of this without hurting anybody or yourself. Mm -hmm. So the next stage of our relationship is one where we have a kid in the mix and it will change everything. Um, how much it changes and in what way is totally up to us. I'll give you an update in about uh, eight months. Why eight months? Because that's when we'll have an idea of, like, I think, six months into having a kid. Oh, because we'll have a routine and everything. Yeah, you'll have a routine. And that's kind of when your, well, your birthday will be a little earlier than that. But I think I, I kind of consider your birthday in the fall as a marker for when I would like for us to have our couple life to return a little bit. Because I think then the baby will be old enough. I'll have a routine. I'll figure my way through nanny life and work life, and I might have some some energy left to to do something more adult again. Mm -hmm. So I I think we should give you guys an update in a few months how that's all going. I do um, feel super excited about the bonding that is going to happen over the baby because I do think that having a baby together can be a huge divider for lots of families. But it can also 
I mean, it's the the couple made this baby, right? So it should be an an experience that bonds you and brings you closer together and increases your intimacy. So my my perspective of this whole giving birth thing with you and having you there is not a perspective of oh my god, this is going to be such a stressful time. No, it's going to be a time of there's my man. He's going to be there one more time for me, showing me how awesome he is, and he will thrive through this and i'll be so proud of him and proud of our, us going through this together and i'll be excited to hold his baby in my hands and um then figure out this new new part of our relationship and how that's going to work so i'm excited i'm not scared i'm not nervous because i think that we've made it through a lot of stuff already in this we'll mm -hmm. make it through this too and we'll come out stronger and more intimate indeed and poor thing that baby's going to be a little furball and a, and a giant head. A giant head. I have a big head and I'm covered in hair. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, attractive. I'm really, really painting a good picture of myself. I am a gorilla with a giant head. That's, I don't know, that's, that's who I am. And this poor child's already inherited that. We can tell from the, the scans, ultrasound, whatever. This is going to be interesting. Yeah, it's a hairy baby. Yeah, it's a hairy baby. Full head of hair already. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be Unlike our daddy. <laughs> yeah, ironic. I have hair everywhere except on the head. And so old age, fun. All right, guys, I think that about wraps it up. So thanks so much for listening. Check out the website, dadstartingover.com. You can check out my books on Amazon, the bestseller being The Dead Bedroom Fix, Amazon, Apple Books, anywhere books are sold online. And check out the DSO Fraternity. I never mentioned this, but you can actually go to dsofraternity.com and it just redirects you to the page of my website. So dsofraternity.com and check out the uh, members-only portion of the website and join us. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good one. If you're listening to this, you're probably a guy who is interested in self-improvement. You probably consume a lot of information like these podcasts, YouTube videos, audiobooks, courses, everything you can to learn more and help you become the best man that you can be. And if you're like a lot of men, there's something still missing. Well, I can tell you what that missing thing probably is quality time with other men that are on the same mission as you. Some of you probably have casual relationships with your fellow soccer dads or the occasional beer with guys from the neighborhood, but none of them seem to be on the same page as you. Am I right? They seem content with their shitty marriages, their shitty jobs, and their expanding waistlines. They have all but given up. You find yourself talking to them about the same football teams, listening to their stories about their subpar home life, and you're getting to the point where you dread hanging around them. Well, the good news is that we have assembled a group of men just like you. We call our group the DSO Fraternity. We have live Zoom meetings that are hosted by yours truly, along with the other members of the DSO team. We have a very active private discussion forum, a Discord server for our lifetime members, a members-only podcast, access to my books in audiobook and PDF format at no extra charge, discounts on one-on-one -on -one coaching with myself and other members of the team, discounts on our video courses, and access to our in-person gatherings. We have met in Nashville, Tennessee, Austin, Texas, Las Vegas, Australia, Amsterdam, and soon in New Orleans. So check it out, the DSO Fraternity at dsofraternity.com. We have monthly, annual, and lifetime membership options available. I think you will find our group is the missing piece of the puzzle that you have been looking for.